Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Well, welcome to BCC. Uh, I'm Mark, the pastor here. Uh, we have a great team, in fact, of leaders and both staff and volunteers who work in the church. Many of you are volunteers, I know. But uh, we're in our third week on this series, Movement and Multiplication. And our theme title this morning is Individual Encounters. Individual Encounters. So I'm wondering, aha. My first question before we start this morning's discussion, Individual Encounters, is what is God saying to me today. Just take a moment. It was good to have that interaction with Adam just now, but if I were to ask you just to take a moment, what is God saying to me today? Just think about it just for a moment. What's he saying today? Um, it's interesting. I, I, I've got a great relationship with God, <laughs> and, uh, and Adam, um, Rob, one of our elders, was recently in the States with um, Caitlin, and he brought back a message from God for me, and uh, this is what the message said. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, he gave it to me to put up on my office wall. God loves you, but I'm his favourite. <laughs> so I just thought I'd share that spiritual insight with you. But um, God, this morning, individuality matters. It's interesting. Should we go to church as Christians? Of course we should. We should be involved in church. We, should. we are the church. It's not a case of should we go. We are the church. When you become a, a truly born-again believer, you, you become part of the church. You are in it, whether you like it or not, really. And it's a case of working out what that means in our lives. Now, we had an interesting week this week. Who got caught out in the rain? A few of you. Uh, yeah, a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of who in the staff got caught out in the rain this week, <laughs> most of the staff. Well, it's very interesting because last Sunday we had um, an unexpected guest speaker just came in vis- to visit with us just briefly, shared with us Pastor Abraham. And afterwards, a number of people had prophetic words actually around the life of the church. It's very good. We've got this uh, whole week of prayer and fasting coming up. But it was very interesting that um, the prophetic was flowing last Sunday morning, literally. Uh, and some came up to me at the end of the service, who is not normally in this church, who came with Pastor Abraham, and, uh, and said, you know, as, as we were worshipping, as she was in the church this, on that morning, she just felt like the Spirit of God was descending upon the church. And literally, it was like rain falling. And she said, I, I can see people splashing around with water up to their ankles. And it was as though... It's as though God said, I've got so much more for you. And, um, and that was really inspiring. And then somebody else at the end of the service came up with a very similar uh, adjunct to that prophetic word, of a different but similar thing about God flowing out. And it was almost as though God reminded us on Wednesday, because when we got to the office, Michael Jones's office was flooded uh, with, uh, with, with um, Caroline. And in fact, if you've been down during the week, you'll realise that we had to take out all the carpets and everything. So it was almost like God was literally saying, you know, I've, I've spoken to you, now realise that actually these things can happen. And when it, uh, when it comes to hearing God's voice, it's, it's, not, it's not a matter of fun or games, it's a, it's a matter of reality. It's a matter of, is God speaking? But it was just ironic that this week, that in fact we shared it with the prayer meeting, it was, it was quite 
well, it was frustrating, actually. It wasn't very funny. It was a frustrating thing. Uh, talking of frustrating things, um, yesterday, as well as the Welsh beating England, which was quite a frustrating thing, though I've got to hand it to them, they were fantastic. They uh, played a tremendous game. Um, during the afternoon, I always like the day before I preach, just to run through what I'm going to be talking about, let God speak to me, get some quiet time, and, and just get my head into, into the Word again. And I had a knock on the front door, and this happens so many times. Uh, anyway... I got this knock on the front door, this lovely lady turned up at the front door and just from a, a religious cult <laughs> and wanted to talk to me about Christianity and faith and what I believed. And it was really frustrating. It was one of these things I thought, well, I'll be polite, I'll give it a couple of minutes and say goodbye. 50 minutes later, this conversation. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how I got caught out by that, but, but it so rattled me. <laughs> and this person said to me, well, the church is dying. Now, the annoying thing is, this person's been to my house over the last three years a number of times and knows me by name. And so she comes to the front door and says, hello, Mark. I just want to catch up from where we left off last time. <laughs> um, but I said, look, you know I'm a pastor. This conversation is going to go nowhere unless you open up your thinking and, and start to look at the scriptures in a more robust and, and actually authentic way. Otherwise, you will not understand what I'm talking to you about. Anyway, she said, well, the, the church in the West, it's dying. The church is dying. There are many leaving. There are many empty buildings. People are being, having their churches turned into flats. I said, well, you haven't been to our church then, have you? Because we've just doubled our services. We've just, you know, we've seen seven or eight weddings over the last year or so. We've, we've seen many people dedicated. We've seen many people come to faith. I said, I don't know what world you're in, but the church of Jesus Christ, the authentic kingdom of God, is growing like crazy. I said, even last Sunday, we had a man in our church just visiting, who in the course of the last 25 to 30 years has planted 4,100 churches. How does that rate in your thinking? And it was just this, the mindset was just closed off and, and shut off. And it worked really well. At the time, I was so annoyed. I, I just, I wanted to be really rude. <laughs> you know, when you can think all the really rude things to do, but you know you can't do it because they know who you are. And they're right at your front door. Um, and uh, so I just thought, okay, a bit of grace here. But anyway, I did bring the gospel in. I was, <laughs> I, was hoping, I thought this is really a waste of my time. But anyway, God did speak to me through it, strangely enough, because it kind of ties with our message this morning. And uh, this morning we're looking at Acts 9 in our series of movement and multiplication. And when you think about Saul, this is a famous piece of scripture. Saul is one of the most famous people, certainly in the Bible uh, uh, and, and, and in the world, really. 13 out of 27 books in the New Testament were written by Saul who became Paul. But before Saul had become Paul, i.e. before he'd changed, before he'd gone through his Damascus Road experience, his, his encounter with Jesus Christ, the living God, um, Paul knew all the truth and was distorting the word of God, just like the person on my front door. Knew the truth, knew enough of it to quote stuff to me that I hadn't even thought about listening to someone speak. And yet it was all put together and miscommunicated and wrong. And in the end, I had to say, I'm, so, I'm, really, I'm sorry to say this, but you are wrong. Your truth is flawed. You haven't got a balanced view of Scripture. You don't understand actually what you're talking about. And Paul, uh, Saul as it was, was in exactly the same place. Let's pop up the first couple of scriptures in, in Acts 9. <clears throat> but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, that was Caiaphas by the way, and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that, he found, uh, so that if he found anyone 
uh, belonging to the way. By the way, the way was effectively in the New Testament was the name they gave to the early believers, the Christians we would call them, uh, the followers of the way, men or women, so that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Um, it's a shocking thought, but obviously we're talking about the Roman Empire, and historically um, the Roman Empire, they owned or they controlled the province of Palestine. Uh, they also controlled Syria. It was a province, a Roman province. And there was this um, extradition permission given to the high priest. He could exercise his powers under Roman rule to extradite people from various parts of the Roman Empire who called themselves Jews that basically did things wrong. And so that's what was going on here. That's why Saul had gone to, to, um, to Caiaphas. And we know who Caiaphas was, of course, don't we? From, the, from the, the, the execution of Jesus Christ. He was the man at the helm at that point in time. He was the one who made that, that call on who and what Je- should happen to Jesus. Um, but Saul, it's interesting here, Saul was fully satisfied with his spiritual life and work. Isn't it extraordinary? Saul had to be. He was one of the most devoutly religious people of his generation. He was schooled with the most academic people of his day. He understood the law. He was an extremely religious uh, zealot. He was extremely keen on, on the word of God. And yet, he didn't understand the word of God. Why? Because he had no, neither the illumination or the revelation of who God really is. And so if you just read the word of God and just, um, well, we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But in, in Saul's case, his mind was blanked off because of various things. Um, it's not uncommon. And it was just like the person on my front door yesterday. And there's almost no way you can just talk to someone like that. They need a spiritual revelation of the truth. They need to have the Holy Spirit actually work in their life and in their heart. And as soon as I started to talk yesterday to this person about the power of God, people being raised from the dead, as was discussed last week, the, the healings that we see, the salvation, the change of people's lives, this person didn't have a clue what I was talking about. It was all about religious obligation. And that's exactly where Saul stood. So my first kind of emphasis behind this is that God knows us individually. We're individually known. And God knew Saul who was on a rampage. He'd gone out of Jerusalem and he was heading up to Damascus with a letter, a written letter of authority. Now, is it possible for God to break into the most extreme lives of people? The answer is most definitely yes. I remember when I was at school, I I was at school in high school in Bromley, secondary school, and there was uh, someone in our school who came just for a short period of time. uh, And you know it's like at school you always have I was with the sports guys, so I did a lot of sport and had lots of friends. I just loved school, actually. I used to just enjoy it. Never had any problems, really. Used to just have a good time. Um, but um, there were bullies, and there were some that were pretty, pretty nasty pieces of work. And there was one that was a very nasty piece of work who, who'd move, moved between schools, and he ended up at our school, and uh, probably when I was about 14, 15. And his reputation was so severe, it was a bit like sore. It went ahead of him. And so when you saw this guy, you just knew there was a whole lot attached to that person in terms of danger and violence, and, and um, people just basically avoided him. Now, what was extraordinary was that God reached into his life, and I baptised him in this church just a few years ago. This is a guy who had spent time in prison, uh, had a criminal record as long as any criminal record you'd ever not want to see, and yet poor, um, God reached into this guy's life just like Saul. Just like Saul. Why? Because God is the master 
at breaking into the most difficult people's lives. And as we approach this pre week of prayer and fasting, I, I want, you know what I would like us to do? I used to do this often as a young, young believer. I used to deliberately look for the most difficult people. I used to take my faith to the most difficult people to see whether God would come through for them. I did it time and time and time again. I used to pray with punks. I used to walk into groups of people that were antisocial. I'd go to, and I'd always look for the worst one, the meanest looking person. Why? Because if you can touch them, you can touch anybody. And sometimes they're the people who are looking for the most truth, actually. And so why not this week? Why don't you think of the worst possible person you know that you've got any sort of contact with and put them right at the top of your list on your card of people to pray for. I believe God's power is there to break into the lives of people, bring revelation to their life. God knows who they are and God is wanting to know people intimately. We are intimately known despite our crazy worlds and God wants to break in. God wants to break in and he'll choose to use us. We're individually known. It says in Psalm 139, uh, David said this, you know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. David said this, this is a man who followed God, had his trust in God, God Almighty, God the Father, who knew him, who trusted him, also failed monumentally. You know, he, he caused the death, effectively murdered someone. He had an affair outside of his marriage and he, uh, he betrayed people, yet he was a, God, a man after God's own heart. Good people make mistakes. And you might be a person in this room today and you feel that, you know what, I, I, I've been a Christian for years and this week I've blown it. Last week, last year, you just don't know how I messed up. You don't know. And can I ever be forgiven? Are all the things I'm going through, are they my fault? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. You know what? God looks at you and says, I can always restore you. I'm the God who restores. I'm the God who perfects the art of restoration. I restore those who are damaged. I restore, restore those who've got broken hearts. I restore people. Why does he do it? Because he knows us. God knows us. You can't hide anything from God. You can't hide anything from him. Whether you choose to accept it or reject it, you can't. He knows everything about you. He knows every detail. There is nothing... You can't have a double life with God. He knows all your life. He knows everything. He sees everything. And because of that, he loves us. And he knows, he knows the pressures that we go through. And he wants us to come to him personally. I love Romans. I love Romans. In uh, Romans 5, verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When we were utterly helpless. When we are utterly helpless. When you are utterly helpless, there's nothing you can do for yourself. You can't reason your way out of utter helplessness. You can't. You are stuck in the deepest pit. You might have been in the highest moment of depression. You might have been in the, the lowest point in your life when you are utterly, utterly helpless. Christ came at just the right time. That's what God does. And you may, you may be somewhere in a dark place right now. You may not be at the bottom of the pit, but you might be somewhere dark right now. And you're thinking, does God really know me here? Is there any way out of this situation? I can't cope with it. My relationships are falling apart. My, my career is falling apart. There's things I've done wrong. People have just discovered something about my life that, that is causing me great shame. God says that when you are utterly, utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. God is the God who perfects, 
perfect timing. And today could be your perfect timing. Today, he wants to lift you up. He wants to bring you to a place where you know for sure that he is with you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Romans 5.9 says, Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We know God is righteous. We know that there is such a thing as sin. We know that sin separates us from God in one sense. The sin is something that destroys that relationship with God, but God still knows us and he dips into our lives to draw us back. God comes just at the right time when we are helpless and we only have access to God through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other, not good works. You can't do it through good works. It's through authentic relationship. Access to God is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone through Christ alone. He draws us. You know, people, a bit like Saul, a bit like the person at my front door, people give us religion as a way to connect with God. Most of the time it's control. People give us religion as a way to connect with God, but God gave us Jesus Christ so that we can connect, he can connect with us. That's the difference. People will give you religion, they'll make a barrier, they'll make it difficult, they'll make it, they'll create reasons why you can't have things. But God says, I give you every opportunity to have everything through Jesus Christ. It's just an extraordinary thing. That's a promise. That's a fact. It's a reality. God gave us Jesus so that he can connect with us. And so often we live our lives kind of disconnected because we think that God doesn't know know us personally. And today I just want to remind us that God knows us individually. We are individually known. My second point this morning is that... um, God is the master of interrupting our lives. <laughs> He's the master of doing it. And he does it when you're at your worst. Right? <laughs> you, you might be somewhere in the dark place. God is the master of interrupting your life. And we know from Acts 9, 3 to 5, at the beginning of Acts, in the New Living, it says here, Now, as he went on his way, this is Saul, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. This is very interesting. This is very interesting. Um, This amazing Damascus Road experience, you may feel that every... Anybody who really comes to Jesus Christ has to have this experience. Not so. Every encounter with Jesus Christ is unique in its own way. It's a unique encounter. It's a unique situation. It's a unique set of circumstances. If you want to have a Damascus Road experience like this, you have to be someone like Saul. There are very few people in this world like Saul. But there are people in this world who've had experiences like Saul. And next week, we'll talk about them, perhaps. Um, The reality is that, that we all have a unique approach to God. It's not necessarily like Saul's, but the the same principles will apply. There has to be illumination and revelation. There's an illumination of the reality of who Jesus is, and then a revelation that he's actually trying to reach us, that he's actually trying to connect with us. God adds people and situations to life unexpectedly. Last Sunday, it was unexpected that Pastor Abraham was able to come to our church. Unexpected, but I just thought, let's interrupt our program just to let God breathe into our church with the inspiration of that man. There are very few people in the world with his credentials, Pastor Abraham. We will invite him back next year. But to be able to testify on this platform to seeing 4,100 churches planted is an extraordinary thing. 15 Bible schools, many miracles. He testified to knowing about seven people raised from the dead. That's faith. 
That's the reality of the kingdom of God. That's the reality of what God is, is doing in our world. We don't see that in Britain. Why not? I, I can't answer that. All I know is that everything is within us for life and godliness. We've got everything in us and with us to, to enable those very same things to happen in here in the UK. Why not? Why can't we plant thousands and thousands of churches? Why can't we fill this meeting and fill the next meeting? Why, why can't we... You know, the, I'm just going to mention the ark for a moment. The ark have been battered, you know, for various reasons, but not in, inappropriately. They've had a tough time in the last few months. But you know what? I'm standing with the ark. We're going to see that ark get to its highest ever grade in its history if we can do it. We are going to invest in it. We're going to stand with that team. We are going to make the very best setting we can possibly do so that it goes from a place of being under a bit of the spotlight to a place where it's, it's an outstanding place to be. And we want to make it that. Why? Because it's within our power to do so. But more than what's within our power, we've got what's within God's power. So in our lives, we've got what's in our control and we've got what God gives us to augment what we've already got. God will give us opportunities like we just can't believe. We just got to know how to respond to them and actively go for it, to go for it, to be inspired and say, God, I'm, go- I'm going to exercise faith. I'm going to come to earthquake tonight. This week of prayer and fasting, I'm not going to settle for the old stuff. I'm going to push into the new stuff because no matter how old I am, how young I am, God can change any circumstance and any situation in my life. I believe it. I'm going to stand by it. You know, Adam mentioned Vicky Simpson coming. There are many churches in Britain wanted Vicky Simpson on the 11th. And AOG said, Mark, would you like to have Vicky Simpson come here? Now, I've never heard her speak, but there are so many churches that want her to come. She's got a prophetic ministry. She's um, actively working with Phil Pringle and the C3 Network internationally. I tell you, something will happen on that Sunday morning. Not that it won't happen when, when it's just good old me and the team, but because God's just amazing. But something will happen when she comes, so do come. But, you know, it's exciting. God is injecting to us at just the right time. Saul was blindly looking to destroy what God was building. And that's why I believe God allowed him to be blinded. You know, once when I was a kid in my mid-teens, around the time I met this guy who was a villain, um, I had another friend and uh, we were in my living room and our house got hit by lightning. And so that lightning bolt hit our roof, blew a hole in the roof, big hole, (laughs) tiles all over the place. And I was in the living room and a fireball came out into the living room and the noise was colossal and the light. It's just extraordinary. It was just a huge flash. I mean, you can't not, you know, you can't not miss it. It's just, it's, it's, it's just all consuming. And you find yourself, whether you like it or not, on the floor. And it's just like Saul in some... Maybe that was a Damascus Road experience. <laughs> but it was just like, in a sense, like Saul. I mean, when, when something astonishes you, your body just collapses. I can't explain why, but I just found myself on my knees. It wasn't a God moment. It was just nature, just ex- showing me its power. But um, when, when something powerful strikes you or, or comes into your world, it changes you and you never forget it. It was so loud and the light was so bright. And with, with Saul, he was interrupted in the daytime. They think it was midday. And he heard a voice heard a voice speaking Aramaic, and Aramaic was the voice, was the language that Jesus spoke. It's a language very similar to Hebrew. It's got the same, or a very similar alphabet. In fact, we know that Jesus spoke Aramaic because one of the most famous times in his life, when he was at that point where he gave his life for us, when he was on the cross, when he was paying the price for your sins and my sins, when he was there, he spoke in Aramaic. 
He said, and it was about three o'clock. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That's Aramaic. We have it in our Bible. We have it in our scriptures. We know he spoke in Aramaic. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross at that point? Because he was carrying the sins of the world. This happened in history. It's a real event. It's documented. It's, it's recorded. Um, it's, there's evidence to support this event. It's extraordinary. What must Paul have thought about when he, was encounter, he encountered the voice and the light? He was absolutely convinced his life was on the right lines. He was convinced that he knew the truth. He was convinced he wouldn't have been so passionate about being so bad. Saul must have been absolutely staggered to suddenly realise that Almighty God is speaking to him and it's the same voice. The same voice that those early apostles heard. The same voice. Who are you, Lord? He knew it was God speaking. Who are you? I think he was desperately hoping this isn't Jesus. <laughs> I'm hoping it's not Jesus. And Jesus tells him who he is. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He took ownership of his people. The church. The people of the way. The Ecclesia, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The fact that he was persecuting those people, he was persecuting Jesus Christ. When you have people in your world persecuting you or putting you under massive pressure inappropriately, Jesus doesn't sit around and go, it doesn't matter. He knows full well what's going on. When people persecute his church, God rises up. God responds. God was in heaven, but God heard and God spoke. And it's extraordinary. Saul must have been absolutely devastated. Everything he was working for, everything he believed in was turned on its head. He had all the knowledge, but had had no revelation to that point. And that's what salvation is, a point of enlightenment when you get revelation. In fact, this event was so important that it's recorded three times by Dr. Luke in the book of Acts. In Acts 9, we're just reading it now. Acts 22 and Acts 26. Also, Paul talks about it or alludes to it in four of his letters. As I said, he he wrote a number of the the letters um, in the New Testament, 13. But it says in Acts 22, verse 9, it says, um, they saw the light, that's the people that were with him. He had a bunch of people because he was going to arrest people. He had people with similar mind with him. He would have been travelling with people to Damascus. In fact, where is Damascus? It's in Syria. Syria's in the press right now. I just thought I'd stick a map up there. Six days walk, 140 miles northeast of Jerusalem. He was on a mission to destroy those people who followed the way. He was on a mission. Damascus, a a trading city, the the capital of Syria, still exists. You know the street called Straight still exists in that city. It's one of the oldest, and we'll read about it later in Acts 9. But it's extraordinary that, that these places exist the reality of what happened here is true. It took place and, uh, and God did it intentionally. It says, but the people who traveled with Saul, he said, they saw the light but did not understand the voice. Interesting that, isn't it? How many times do people see something that draws them in but they don't understand the voice? A bit like last week when Deborah brilliantly brought out the story around the Ethiopian eunuch and the fact that Philip, who'd been in Samaria, had to go and explain the scriptures. In other words, the voice needs to be understandable. That's where we come in. We're called to go to the whole world, not just to attend church. We're called 
to carry the voice of Jesus into every situation, into situations. It's an incredible power. And the power that spoke to Saul on that day to Damascus, on that day is the power that's working in our lives. God is working and engineering situations for us to open up, for us to, to explore, for us to discover. It says in Acts 11, verse 19, Believers who'd been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. Well, Antioch of Syria is further north than Damascus. And I don't know if you remember, two weeks ago I talked about Philip. You know, that's just one example. Remember the scripture? There was one example of someone who who was led by God and, and did extraordinary things. Well, somebody else who's not even named went to Damascus. There's no story about who it was who went to Damascus. There's no story about who went to Antioch of Syria. There's no story. But Philip went to Samaria and something happened in, in Damascus. That's why Saul was going there. Why? Because there were believers in Jesus Christ there. Unnamed people who'd done what Philip had done in Samaria. And we read that just two weeks ago. It's extraordinary, extraordinary. So stuff is going on. There are things that we just don't know about that God is doing. A bit like this person at my front door. Haven't got a clue what God is doing in the underground church in China. Um, Right across Central and Eastern Europe. What's happening in the Middle East. How God is revealing himself through dreams to people in some of the most hostile locations. Why is it? Because God is looking for people. And God is going to use us to reach people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, um, the Ethiopian unit was reading those prophecies and he needed someone to explain them. Jesus himself authenticated scripture as well. He often quoted the Old Testament. In fact, it's said that he quoted three quarters of the books in the Old Testament in his lifetime, and it's recorded in the New Testament. Jesus shows us that the word of God is powerful, and it's valid, and it's active. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all scripture is inspired, breathed out by God, and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. The word of God is immensely powerful. When you speak it, you breathe out. Even the process of speaking is breath being breathed out. You know, if you look at other religions, you may say, well, you know, you Christians, you claim that um, Jesus is the only way. But there are other ways. There's Buddhism, there's Islam, there's Hinduism, there's other other Baha'ism. There's all sorts of philosophies. There's there's all sorts of other things that people can, can find a way to God through. I say that's not true. There is one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And a revelation, an illumination and a revelation of who he is. And there are hundreds and thousands of people around us who are looking for that illumination, that revelation. And I think many people in our communities are hearing the voice of God. They just can't hear that voice amidst all the noise. In come the church. In come the church. You know, uh, in Buddhism, um, it's a collection of sermons really by one man. In Islam, it's predominantly um, collected works by one man. But in Christianity, the Bible is 66 books uh, written by more than 40 men over 1,500 years with a single thread, and every thread leads to Jesus Christ. That is an impossibility, humanly speaking, to create any sort of literature or documentation that has the possibility of coming together over that period of time in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, you know, for all that to come together and converge, the Word of God is the most incredible thing. And we've got easy access to it in the UK. In parts of the world, they don't. Just for a moment, I just want to encourage you, I want to inspire you about God's Word. The power of God's Word and how authentic it is. Maybe you're, 
you're very relaxed about the scriptures. Maybe you're not too bothered about reading too much and ju- you know, just enjoy Sundays. Let me just inspire you just for a moment. You know, the Bible is full of prophecies. Isaiah prophesied long before Jesus about what he'd be like. We know that there are more than 50 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament and more than 300 references linked to those prophecies. So you could say between you know, over 300 accounts of who Jesus would be and what would happen. And Jesus has fulfilled virtually every single one of them. And in his lifetime, everything spoken about him was fulfilled. Those prophecies have been fulfilled. You may say, well, that, that's, that's, just inf- yeah, that's just information, that's, that's nice to know. Let me just drill into this for a moment. Uh, Isaiah prophesied 700 years before describing a virgin birth. Uh, Micah named the city that he would be born in 700 years before it happened. David wrote about crucifixion 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified and 500 years before anyone on this earth had ever been crucified. The first known recorded crucifixion was in 497 BC. Daniel wrote 500 years before Christ that a great empire would dominate the world. It would then suddenly divide into four, it would be reformed into two, and then suddenly become one, and then the Messiah would be born. Daniel wrote about that. We have it in our scriptures. Is this a reality or is it just concocted words? Well, 300 years before Jesus, there was an empire with Alexander the Great. A huge empire dominated the world. Alexander's kingdom was immense, but he was killed at the age of 32. And then his kingdom was divided by his four generals. And then those four kingdoms became two kingdoms, the Seleucid and the Ptolemaic. And then a single kingdom followed that, which was the Roman Empire, which is when Jesus was born. Can you see, these are, we're not talking about something that's just a, a collection of nice ideas. We're talking about the pre-planned purposes of God in his word and he's investing everything in his church. Everything that God has pre-planned for the future and for the winning of the lost and the expansion of his kingdom is invested in his church. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Do you see how much God's invested in us? He's invested the life of Christ in each one of us. We have everything that we need to be able to achieve what we need to achieve. An extraordinary story, a a guy, a professor, Peter Stoner, um, this is going back a few years, but this is recording a number of, of eminent um, works, uh, published works. Um, at the time, he had 600 students, and they calculated the probability of just eight historically verified pieces of history, the prophecies, being fulfilled by one person. So eight, not the 40 or the 300, but eight. What's the statistical probability mathematically? And it was verified independently by a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation as dependable and accurate in regard to scientific presentation. So conservatively, they worked out the odds of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies. Just eight. This is just eight. This isn't even the biggies. This is just eight, right? Would you get hazard a guess at the probability of getting all eight fulfilled? Well, if you were a blind person or you had a, a blindfold on and you, and you had a, a bag and you had ten things inside that bag and you had your eyes shut and you pulled out one of those ten things, your chance is one in ten of pulling out any given particular item. One in ten. 
Well, the probability of one man, one man fulfilling these prophecies, which are so disparate in their nature and over so much time, is one in ten to the power of the 17th. So the 17th power. Do you know what that looks like? That's one in, I can't even read that number. It's 17 zeros. That's just eight messianic prophecies. Let me just throw a couple of questions at you. How did he arrange Jesus to be born in a specific family? How did he arrange to be born in a specific city in which his parents didn't live? How did he arrange his death, his, specifically his crucifixion, with two others? How did he arrange to be executed on the same day the Jews sacrificed a spotless lamb for their sins? How did he come back to life? These are just a few that I've picked up, and there are loads of other things that had to be prepared by God for God to fulfil. And look at that, that's just fulfilling eight of them. Look at the impossibility of that. Now let me give you an example of what that would look like visually. <laughs> right? The same guy who did the research used this illustration. He said, if you take the state of Texas, now the state of Texas is very big. In fact, some farmers there, they can get in a, in a pickup truck when the sun comes up and they can drive all day and not get to the other side of their ranch. That's how big it is. Now, can you see the little blue square on the screen? That's roughly the size of the United Kingdom. And the big red blob in the middle of the screen is Texas. So it's about three times the size of the UK. Well, it's massive. It's a very, very, very large state, second biggest in the US. Now, what this guy said was this Peter Stoner. He said, well, supposing you had one silver dollar. Right, one, this is not a silver dollar. I don't possess a silver dollar. Assuming that was a silver dollar. If you had one silver dollar and you laid one of these side by side throughout the entire state of Texas, right, and you got a pen and you put your identifier on it. So I put my initials on this. All right, there you go. My initials on that one silver dollar. And you put so many of these out to correspond to that big number we just put, that, the depth of these silver dollars would be two feet tall, right, to cover the entire state of Texas. And one of them, one of them had a mark on it or an initial. And you put that somewhere in the mix. And you got a blind guy and you stuck him in the middle of the state of Texas, perhaps Houston or somewhere like that. You turned him round and you said, go find it. And by chance, the very first one he finds is mine. That's the probability of fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. Do you see the magnitude of what God's done? We read the word of God and we see it as being so like just information. It's revelation. It's illumination. When we get that, we realise the power of God in our world. The power of God in our lives. So God challenges us individually. Acts 9, 6 to 9. But, uh, but God said to him, Rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were travelling with you with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Neither ate nor drank. In a sense he had a forced fast. You know, the, the, the rabbis used to pride themselves in being guides for the blind. That's how they reviewed themselves versus the Gentiles. We know that from Romans 2. In 2 Peter 1.10 it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
That's my challenge to us this morning, that God, God has looked for us. God has looked for you. God is looking for you. Perhaps you don't know him yet. He knows you individually. He knows you intimately. Adam, why don't you join me on, on the keys? He knows you intimately. He knows you individually. He knows everything about you and he's equipped his church to achieve the impossible. Why? Because he's already planned it to happen. Those prophecies that have been fulfilled, and I just talked about eight there, are things that God has already planned. He's planned for you to be in this church. He's planned for you, your life to have purpose. He's planned for your existence to mean something. He's planned for you to carry his identity. He's planned for you to know what he's doing. He's planned for you to carry responsibility. He's, he doesn't want you to suffer and, and just go through a meaningless life. He wants everything that you endure for his name, for his sake, to have purpose and value. He's planned for it. He's planned for it. He's planned good works for you to discover. But what does it say to Peter? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. In other words, what's, what's that diligence? It's, it's, it's checking it out. If you practice, it says, if you practice, God says, you can practice. You have a go. Just have a go. You can practice. You can practice being spiritual. You can practice an earthquake. You can practice in your walk. You can, you can practice on anybody. You can just bring the truth in. You can pray for people. I've empowered you to go pray. You, you can have prophetic words. My spirit's in you. He's, he's, he's given us all this stuff. Why? Because he's planned for it. He's planned for it. And we are part of his eternal plan. He wants us to be equipped. Can we trust him? Yes. Can we take steps of confidence? Yes. Maybe you're under massive pressure right now. Ask yourself these questions. Is God interested? Yes, he's interested. But how can I trust him? Well, sit down and work out how you can trust him. Get a plan going. Take your ideas, your thoughts. Pray. Is God interested? Yes, pray. Ask him. This week of prayer and fasting. Bring some big issues to him. The bigger, the better. The most hairy and obnoxious. Bring them to him. I'm not talking about Welsh. <laughs> bring them to him. Bring him. The, the biggest challenges in your life, bring them. He, he is the master at solving the impossible. Bring them to him. How can I trust him? Make a plan. Make a plan to trust him. Change your mindset about how you're going to trust him. Say, you know what? I'm going to pray and now I'm going to change a few actions. I'm going to change my behaviours a little bit. I'm going to start a few things. I'm going to stop a few things. I'm going to get my life lined up. I'm going to do what God did to Saul, but I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to get myself lined up. I'm going to start to be obedient. I'm going to start to listen to him. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to take some faith steps. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to step into something new. I'm going to start doing a few specific things with actions. I'm going to change my routine a little bit. I'm going to get a new prayer partner. I'm going to find one. I'm going to encourage a few people. I'm going to look for people I can encourage. I'm going to start serving in the church, maybe with another charity or some good cause. But I'm going to start changing my focus because it's not about us. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. He's made a plan for us. Remember John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. I chose you. I chose you. He knows us individually. God knows us individually. He understands our crazy world. He knows our pressures. But he is the master of interrupting our worlds. He will interrupt us and he will challenge us and he will change us. Won't we stand? Team, join me on the stage. I wanted us to sing a song this morning. To just think about this and reflect on these words that God has chosen us. This is an exciting day.
the day, the day of earthquake, the day before a week of prayer and fasting, let's not make it a dull week. Let's make it a week we throw ourselves into what God has for us. Let's make it a week that God changes something in our lives. A week of change. What song have we got, guys? Okay, lovely. So I'm going to step off the stage just for a moment. But let's just close our eyes. Let's ask the question, God, what do you need me to see? Help me to see today. Help me to see. What do you need me to hear? Father, help me to hear today.